0: Good morning, Lindsley Avenue. Good morning. Thought I would change up the way I said that so I've become less predictable. Good to see everybody today. It's good to see a couple of visitors. We're glad you're here. Hope you will come back and visit again with us whenever you have the opportunity. Uh, I think you will find here at Lindsley Avenue a group of people who are devoted to following after Jesus and living as he wants us to live. So if that sounds good to you and you've found a place to make your home, so please come back and be here with us again. And if you're watching remotely, uh, I believe you probably have more people doing that today than we've had in the past. Uh, we hope you will come visit us once you're out and about again. Uh, it's really a shame to be waffling back and forth between out and, and uh, concerns uh, coming back. But uh, glad you're here with us this morning. Today we're going to be looking at some verses out of Ephesians chapter 1 and the topic title I gave it was, Above All, Jesus. When you think about what should be at the top of a list, you know, people make their bucket lists, people make their top five of the best quarterbacks ever and all this kind of stuff. But in terms of what's most important to us, above everything else really should be Jesus. And I think that's a basic point. That Paul's going to discuss here in Ephesians chapter 1 and we're going to pick up starting in verse 15 we read for this reason because I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints I do not cease to give thanks for you remembering you in my prayers Paul has heard of their faith in Christ and their love for all of God's people it really should be true of each and every congregation should be true of each and every follower of Jesus. There's really no excuse for a follower of Jesus to not love another follower of Jesus, not to mention loving our neighbors who may not be followers of Jesus. You know, it's, uh, it's really a shame when you see two brothers or brother and sister or two sisters that cannot seem to get along because we have been called to love, not to disagree. But because of what he has heard about their faith in Jesus and their love for all of God's people, because of this, he gives thanks to God for them as he remembers them in his prayers. We should remember our brothers and sisters in our prayers to God. Not only here locally, I think we do a good job of that. We've got an unfortunately rather long prayer list. But in our community, in remembering to pray for people in our community, but also around the world, whether that be in in Malawi, one of my favorite places over in Africa, or the Philippines, or Greece, there are brothers and sisters everywhere, and we need to remember them, especially if you see on the news problems that are happening in various places around the world, likely that is impacting brothers and sisters. Because of this initial focus on prayer, this month is one of those months that has five Sundays in it, and we do something special when there are five Sundays. The focus on the fifth Sunday in two weeks is going to be on prayer. So we're going to hopefully have songs related to prayer. Uh, We're going to work on that. We're going to talk about the meaning of the songs and focus in on prayer. So we'll be having a group of, of prayers that will be offered, focused in on things that we should pray for and take to God for. The two things which really must characterize any church, any gathering of God's people, any uh, uh, congregation, if you will, of God's family, needs to be loyalty to Christ, loyalty to Jesus, and a love for others. Let's talk about those two things. He says again, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints... You know, there is a loyalty that some people can try to have to Jesus, which does not issue or generate love for others. You know, if you think about monks, people that hit out in the desert, hermits, they had a loyalty to Jesus where they abandoned all of the ordinary activities that they might have been engaging in day to day in order to live alone out in the desert in deserted places. Heresy hunters of the Spanish Inquisition that we may have heard about, read about in high school or someplace, had a loyalty to Jesus which made them feel compelled to persecute those who thought differently than they did. Before Jesus came, the Pharisees had a loyalty to God which made them contemptuous of those whom they thought less loyal to God than themselves. These types of behaviors are no loyalty to Jesus at all. You are not loyal to Jesus if you're hiding out in the desert, make sure you're not interacting around other people. You're not being loyal to Jesus if you are looking for ways to persecute or in some way attack people who think differently than you do. some people that you look down upon thinking they are not as devoted to Jesus as I am, therefore they are less loyal to All these examples are not examples of loyalty to Jesus, they just aren't. The true child of God, the true follower of Jesus, loves Jesus and other people, especially brothers and sisters. More than that, they know they cannot show love to Jesus other than by showing love to others. You really can't. You can't show I love God without showing that you love other people. Think of the scene that occurs in Matthew chapter 25. Picking up in verse 35, Jesus says, For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. You took care of me. I was in prison, and you came to me. He's saying this to a group of people on Judgment Day. Jesus is. And their response is, When did we see you and give you anything to drink? When did we see you naked and give you clothing? And the point is, they didn't see Jesus. But they saw someone else and helped them. And Jesus' response is, Anytime you help someone else, you are in fact helping me. The only way to show loving Jesus is not to wait around on the possibility that Jesus may suddenly show up and need our help here in the auditorium this morning, but to look for ways to help other people. Because by doing that, we are in fact showing that we love Jesus. Whenever we are loving others, we are loving Jesus. However pure a church's theology However, noble its worship, it's not really following Jesus unless it is characterized, unless it is known for its love for others. You know, there are churches that may rarely make any public announcements that's not based on some sort of criticism, either of somebody or some other place. You know, they may be orthodox, they may be following uh, the right things and doing the right things, but they're really not Christian. We all can think of people who may be correct theologically that would show up in the news or sometimes at ball games and they would hold up signs condemning a specific sin, which is a sin that the Bible talks about. But they became known for being hateful in that approach rather than looking for ways to love people and show people that love is the way out of sin. We must be marked by a double love, a love for Jesus, a love for Christ, and a love for others. So what was our New Year's resolution? Seven and a half months ago now, love God and love your neighbor. And we're over halfway through the year. How are we doing with loving God and loving your neighbor? Still got time. Still got time to get back on track if we're not on track with that. And if we're on track, don't quit now. Don't quit now. So I'm looking again at this first verse of the passage this morning because Paul had heard of our faith in the Lord Jesus, the people at Ephesus, their faith in the Lord Jesus and their love for all the saints. They love God and they show they love God by loving their neighbors, loving their brothers and sisters. He says again, remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. God here is called the Father of Glory. The Father of Glory. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 8 we read none of the rulers of this age understood this for if they had understood this they would not have crucified the Lord of Glory. The term that is used of God in the Old Testament is used of jesus in the new testament this glory remember moses's face in the book of exodus shown with the reflected glory of having uh, been in, in god's presence or near god god's presence as noted in the tabernacle in the temple was associated with the glory the, the physical sign of his presence well jesus was the physical presence of god here on the earth and he, in fact, is the Lord of glory. Jesus, the Son, was that glory here on the earth. John 1.14, the Word became flesh and walked among us. We have seen his glory. What glory? The glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth, and humanity crucified. Jesus came to the earth, bringing grace and truth, and humanity killed it. Now, that's pretty general. Let's make it more specific. You and I crucified Jesus. By our choices to do what we wanted to do, we, we, not some kind of nebulous group 2,000 years ago, we are the ones that crucify the Lord of glory. The good news, that should be in the past for all of us. The same way that Paul is writing to these people in Ephesus applies to us because we are now followers of Jesus. We have turned our backs on living for ourselves and living for God now. That is a past statement about each of us if we are followers of Jesus. Paul prays that they may receive wisdom and knowledge. If that is ever to happen, If it's ever to be something that can happen to us, Paul's prayer for the church in Ephesus, I would suggest Paul's prayer for all of us as well, to receive the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him, we have to be a thinking people. We have to be a thinking people. We shouldn't have a box at the door where we take our brains out and leave them. Or Whenever we're thinking about God, we quit being a thinking group of people. As Plato had said so long ago, the unexamined life is not worth living. Well, the unexamined religion is not worth having. It's an obligation for a Christian follower of Jesus to think. We have to have a teaching minister. The only way really to get people to think is to be involved in teaching and learning and constantly trying to become more aware of what God wants of us, more aware of the love that he has for us, and more aware of our responsibility to talk about what God has done for us to other people. It's response, it's necessary for our growth as followers of Jesus. We have to have that sense of priority. God must be first. It's one thing to know everything possible on the earth about repairing a car in it. and that's not me. But I'm sure there's somebody that could have their eyes closed and be asleep and repair perhaps every car engine that's ever been made. That's fabulous knowledge. It can't be the first place knowledge. God has to be first in all that we do. Paul also prays for a fuller revelation and a fuller knowledge of God. For the Christian, the growth in knowledge and grace is essential. We cannot stop studying. It's been my Great fear for a long time of being in various congregations that this book we often will bring with us on Sundays, the book that I carry with me everywhere in my pocket, is only opened and looked at when we're together on Sundays. We need to be, if we're going to be followers of Jesus and putting God above all and Jesus in the first place, a studious people need to open up the word that god has sent to us and read it so does that describe me the christian life could and should be described as getting to know god better every day you know a friendship that does not grow closer with the years tends to vanish think about it did you have a best friend in school best friend 15 20 years ago you have people you would call best friends that i don't know where they are now what happened that friendship was not renewed that closeness was not maintained and if it's not no matter how close you were you can drift apart same thing can happen to us and god if we don't stay close to god and we stay close to god in this whole section not with prayer, always praying about these people, pray for yourself, pray for others, but in making sure that we study and we learn more about Jesus, staying close to Jesus. So it is with us and God that closeness can vanish over time if we don't maintain it. Then Paul moves on to another phrase that's got some interesting ideas behind it, starting here in verse 18. Paul says, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. What a beautiful figure. Thinking of our hearts as having eyes that are looking outward toward God. You know, Most of the time, when eyes are mentioned in Scripture, they are mentioned in a negative way. When you look at it, Uh, there's no fear of God before their eyes. In Romans chapter 3, darkness has blinded their eyes. We're talking about, Jesus had said, if your eye offends you, pluck it out. That is generalizing. You can't keep using portions of your body to do evil things. Please don't go plucking your eyes out without... That's not what we're talking about here this morning. But eyes are mentioned in a negative way most of the time, except here is one of the places where it's mentioned in a totally different way. And it's not talking about the eyes of my head. It's the eyes of my heart looking toward God. We are to have the eyes of our hearts open, enlightened, made aware enough to see the truth and eventually see God. 1 Peter 3 and 12 the eyes of the lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer it's the whole idea right when you love someone what often happens you're looking into their eyes right? you're close you're looking into their eyes they're looking at you that's the image here between the follower of jesus and god put together ephesians 1 and 1 peter 3 the eyes of our heart should be opened and looking toward God. And what does Peter say about God? God's eyes, the Lord's eyes are on the righteous. People that love each other tend to stare into each other's eyes. And in a sense that's exactly what ought to be happening between us and God. But, look how Peter ends it. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. If I'm loving God and showing that love, I'm loving my neighbor, I will not be in that second group, the group of people who do evil with the face of the Lord against me. God's eyes are on us, and I should be on him. Having the eyes of our hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, where are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Paul also prays for this new realization of Christian hope. You know, it's characteristic of our age, walk out the doors, you won't go very far, before you find that many, many people seem to be always on the verge of despair. It's not like, what, there's a pandemic going on around here, right? I mean, people have been feeling down, depressed, despairing, many people have for, what is it now, 18 months or something? And who knows what's gonna happen in the future? No, the world has always had things that are going wrong with it. The world has always had problems that we can focus on that can lead all sorts of people to despair. I wasn't alive in World War II, but looking back at history, a lot of those times were awfully dark. Awfully dark. It looked like darkness was going to descend upon Europe and it might come all the way across the oceans. It's been that way all the time. But, it's never been more necessary to sound the call, if you will, trumpet, whatever it is, loudspeaker, I don't care, of Christian hope. Paul prays for also a new realization of the power of God among those who believe, that you and me, look at the text again, that you may know the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. According to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ, he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand, his right hand in the heavenly places. For Paul, the supreme proof of the power of God was the resurrection of Jesus. If Christ is not raised from the dead, then our faith is vain. Our faith is futile. Our faith is worthless. No reason for us to be here if we're just trying to all pretend about something. God raising Jesus from the dead showed his power and has given us hope in a world that so often seems full of despair. Because without that resurrection, there is no hope. The resurrection proved that God's predetermined purpose cannot be stopped by any action outside or otherwise. And that predetermined plan of action was God's plan to save you and me. Even though we were in the past responsible for the crucifixion of Jesus, before the world ever began, God knew what it was going to take. And God set that plan in action and brought it about by raising Jesus from the dead. In a world which looks chaotic, always remember, God is still in control. Paul prayed that they may know three things in these last couple of verses. The hope to which he has called you, when you woke up this morning did you feel hopeful did we did we stop to think about hope or did we think what's the grimmest thing going on i guarantee you turn on the television if you have one nearby you're going to see pretty grim things you get a newspaper you're going to see some pretty grim things there's always grim things somewhere in the world the christians should see each morning through the eyes of hope they really should the hope to which he has called us, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and now the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. How can we as Christians not live in hope? And if we as Christians lose hope, the world's really in the bad place. You know, we talk about the light shining in the city on the hill, we talk about uh, the little kid song, you know, uh, this little Christian light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Well, in some ways, that's talking about Jesus, but many times, the way people see Jesus in us is through love for other people and hope. And if you put something under a bushel, right, I always thought the bushel would catch fire I never liked that idea, but if you cover it up, how do you put a candle out? Remember those little things you used to see in rich people's houses, or you may even have one yourself that you use at formal times or something. I don't know. There's like a little cup thing on a stick and they would put it over the top of a candle. What happens to the candle? It goes out. And if our hope goes out, there's no light for the world. How can we as Christians, not
1: God had seated him in his right hand in the heavenly
0: places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is to be named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. Paul says that God has raised Jesus Christ far above all rule, above all authority, above all power, above all dominion, and above every name that could be named. There's not a being in heaven or on earth to whom Jesus is not superior. Jesus is above everything. Nothing should ever have us pull our heart, the eyes of our hearts away from God and look anywhere else. Last slide. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Paul gives the church its greatest title. Jesus' body. You You and I, as members of that body, have some purpose to which we can be helping here on the earth. Somewhere in this gathering this morning, there will be somebody that might be the eyes of this local gathering of God's body. Many of us can be the hands of this body. Many of us can be the feet. There are things for us to do we don't all have the same abilities. You know, my thumb isn't nearly as good as seeing as my heart is. You know, I close my eyes and move my thumb around and it doesn't do me much good. We all have things we can do. The church is Jesus' body. We need to be busy exercising that body to show our love for God by loving we are now one with uh, each other and with Jesus himself in the same way that parts of our body are in fact one with us. Jesus died to bring all the elements in this universe into one to reunite everything and restore the unity God intended for the world. know, the real purpose of Jesus is reconciliation. Reconciling humanity to each other in spite of all our attempts to divide, the division between man and woman, between Jew and Gentile, between black white, whatever it is, God's ideal for the world has never been division. Jesus is the only way to bring two back into one. Reconciling men and women, humanity to humanity, and way of doing that by reconciling us to God. Horizontal reconciliation if you will, through vertical reconciliation. Reconciling us to God. Jesus is God's instrument of reconciliation. Bringing us back to each other and back to God. So my question this morning is, are you a member of this body of Jesus? You're only a member of this body of Jesus if you have decided, I'm not going to live for myself anymore. I'm going to live for God. You've decided to change the way you live, understanding what God did for you, sending his son to die, and demonstrating that love for God by being immersed in water so that you can be raised to walk in newness of life. That's the way you become a member of God's family. For the Bible. <clears throat> If you are a member of God's family but you haven't been focused on that New Year's resolution, which really could be our life's resolution of showing my love for God through my love for a neighbor, there's still time, not only for the year but for our lives. Come back to God. Come and confess, I need to do better. I haven't been doing things the way I should. We'll take your name before God in prayer and you can gathering this morning with hope as we all walk out that door. If God's invitation applies to anyone here this morning, anyone here remotely, please, please come now as we stand.